your Bibles to Romans chapter number 7. Let's read, um, let's read verse 1 through 6. Get the context before we dig into it. He says, Now, or know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he live. For the woman which uh, hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Father, thank you for your wonderful love to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just take this next bit of time and, and help us to really ponder our standing with you and uh, to not uh, commit any form of spiritual adultery but yield ourselves to who you made us under the new life we have in Christ. We thank you for setting us free from the law of sin and death that we might enter in to this new law of love in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he starts off and um, he says, Know you not, or do you not know, is kind of another way of saying it, uh, that uh, a, a woman, I'm sorry, that, for I speak to those who are under the law. So he was talking to those who had grown up under the law. He was talking to primarily a Jewish audience. And he's, but they were brethren. They were believers. He says that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now, that's something all of us should know. Um, the, the law only applies to those who are alive. Isn't that right? So say uh, Gary goes out and commits a, a, a robbery of a, a 7-Eleven. And um, the police find out. They get his picture on the, uh, the camera and the video surveillance. And um, they chase after him. But... He, uh, running away from the police, has a heart attack and dies. Um, what are the police going to do? They're going to drag him in, throw him before the judge, you know, say, hey, you know, you've got to answer to these charges. And you say, no, man, the guy's dead. Law doesn't apply. But uh, they get Tabor and they, uh, he's, uh, he's committed some heinous crime. Amen. I don't know. <laughs> You know, he's charged with being impolite to his father-in-law or something like that. I don't know. Gets the sentence. He's charged and found guilty, and he's sentenced to 50 years in prison. But uh, in the 35th year, they go in, and they see him, and he's, he's had a heart attack and died. What do they do? 
Do they make him serve the rest of his sentence? They say, you ain't getting out of this. <laughs> right? No, yeah, they might try. <laughs> Especially if the father-in-law is on the, uh, on the parole board, right? You know? so, so what they're going to do is they're going to say, listen, he's dead. The law doesn't apply. Why? Because the law only applies to a man who's alive. So, you know, I use that kind of a silly illustration to get us to think of it. Um, once you die, the law ceases to have any authority. The law is binding only on the living. Now, when we look at Romans 7 here, he's referring directly back to Romans 6.14, that you are not under the law, but under grace. We have a new master because we have a new nature. That's what we saw yesterday. And he goes on, and now he uses the illustration of adultery. Adul- <laughs> My tongue won't work. It was too much pancake syrup, I guess. Uh, divorce and remarriage as a way of illustrating what's going on in the relationship between the law and grace. And he says, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Um, the point of the illustration isn't really to teach you about divorce, I don't think but to show us the principle of being under the law only as long as one is alive. And then he goes, you know, here's the reality. We're all born married to the law. Whether we uh, were Jews or Gentiles, we were all born under the authority of the law. Um, And the law served its purpose, didn't it? Did it show us that we were uh, sinful? Did Did it show us the exceeding sinfulness of sin? And the law gives us the clear demands, uh, but it gives us no help to perform it. It tells us what we're supposed to do, but it doesn't enable our obedience. Um, The law is good. The law is perfect. The law is holy. The, The problem, Paul makes it very clear, is never the law. The problem isn't the law at all. The problem is what? It's us. You know, it's, it's us. Uh, we were the problem. It, Mr. Mr. Law, if you want to look at it as a husband, Mr. Law was a perfect husband. You know, never had bad breath. Uh, never did anything wrong. Think about this kind of husband, the perfect husband. Uh, always remembered to buy, fl- buy flowers and to say the right things and not to say the wrong things. Being married to Mr. Law was being like married to the perfect husband. Um, all of his demands were perfect and holy. But here's the problem. He does nothing to motivate his spouse. He doesn't enable uh, her obedience. Mr. Law doesn't have emotions or feelings. When you think about it, the law doesn't respond based on, on emotions or feelings. The law as a husband is fine if you're equally perfect, if you're equally holy, if you're equally pure, then you can live under the law uh, or live under the law as your husband. But if you're not perfect, all it can do is show you your sinfulness. It can judge you, condemn you. Now, the next phrase in there, he says, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. And so death is the end of the relationship and all the legal bonds that were associated with the relationship. The only way out of his marriage to this perfect husband. I mean, the only way out was death. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. Now, if a woman goes with a man other than her husband, we call her an adulterer, yeah? 
There was no escaping Mr. Law, and there was no provision for divorce from the law. We couldn't be married to another without death. Then look at the next sentence. And he says, but if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. And he's showing us in the relationship of marriage. He's tying it in here between this relationship between the law and grace. And he said, listen, the only way she could be free is for the husband to be dead. Um, He committed himself. So... I like to say it like this, that, that when we were married to Mr. Law and we were suffering under the, 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 the weight of the law because of our imperfections, because of what the scripture calls our flesh, uh, coming out condemned guilty, Jesus saw us and Jesus loved us and Jesus wanted to marry us, but there was a problem we were married already. This is the illustration that Paul's giving. He's saying, listen, you can't marry another one. Why? Because you're already married. The only way to have the relationship broken was for there to be a death. But Jesus committed himself to making us his bride. He couldn't marry us because we were already married. Then look at the next phrase. And he goes, and therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Now notice very carefully, there's a shift here. Because it isn't the husband that dies, but the bride that dies. Why? Because there was nothing wrong with the law. He was perfect. We're talking about the law as a husband. Mr. Law was a perfect husband. So, he, so there was no way to kill Mr. Perfect. He had to kill the imperfection. And so he says here now that we who are the bride, we're the ones who are taken. Why did Jesus take us to the cross with him? So he could free us from being under the law. You see... Um, Also, becoming dead could be translated, were made dead. The Greek word here emphasizes the completeness and the finality of death. And it's interesting that the verb is also in the passive, indicating the believer does not die naturally or put himself to death, but has been made to die by the divine act of God. You know, we we weren't in Galatians 2.20. We looked at, I think it was yesterday. We, We couldn't have done that to ourselves. And we know for a fact that we can't crucify ourselves. But he said here that he took us to the cross. It was a divine act of the Savior. We were crucified with him. We were buried with him. We rose again. And Jesus was a Savior. But he wasn't a martyr. Think about it. He wasn't a martyr. He had no need to die. And no one could make him die. He was a Savior. He died because we needed to die on the cross. It is more than just deserving to die. We needed to die because it was the only way we could be united to him. The law didn't die. Make no mistake of it. The scripture tells us very clearly that the problem wasn't the law. The law didn't die. But now the law is a widower. And the law is looking for a girlfriend. And where does the law go to find a good girlfriend? To church. You don't go to a bar to find a good girl. You go to church to find a good woman. Here's what I'm, 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 I'm taking you. But is that the law has, we've been freed from the law so we can be united to Christ. But the law, if you want to look at it in this metaphor I'm giving you, is looking for a girlfriend. Where does he go? Go to the church. Why? Because 
He can get us under the law again. He can entice us to think that we can do certain things to achieve righteousness instead of receiving. And here's the reality. He says that you may be married to another. Romans 7 can be a confusing chapter, but it's really not if we look at it in this light. He said that you'd be married to another. You were born married to Mr. Law. You died. Why? So that you could be married to another, to him who, uh, who was raised from the dead. So that you could be married to Jesus, so that you could be the bride of our Savior. Salvation has a complete change of spiritual relationship. All this dying wasn't without purpose. It was so we could be free to be married again to the one who would love us. And we commit spiritual adultery when we try to live with two husbands. You say, well, what are you talking about? When you try to live with Mr. Law and Mr. Grace, you commit spiritual adultery. Now, a lot of us freely admit that there's no way we could gain salvation under the law. But we look to sanctification to come under the law. We receive salvation through, through grace, but then we look to achieve sanctification through the law. And what this scripture is teaching us is that spiritual adultery. It's like trying to live with two husbands. It's impossible to please them. Our sanctification comes not from the law, but from yielding to the new husband, Jesus Christ, or if you want to stick with the metaphor, Mr. Grace. So we find ourselves in failure. Whenever you live under the law, you live under a performing system. It's all about what I'm going to do for God, maybe with his help. And so you achieve, you work, you work, try hard, you discipline yourself. And what happens? You fail. So in your failure, you confess, you get on your knees, and you confess and you acknowledge your failure, ask for forgiveness, and you commit yourself to trying harder and you try harder and then the next result is more failure. And so you get on your knees and before you know it, you find yourself on this treadmill where life is just this cycle of trying harder, failing, confessing, and trying harder. Why? Because you're trying to live with two husbands. You're trying to live under the law for your sanctification while living with the grace. And so it's kind of like here you are, go to one husband for forgiveness and then you say, I'm going to try harder, and you go to another husband. And that's why there's so little joy in our experience. You realize that he, he was raised from the dead to be our eternal husband, that we were to be a bride that would be chased before him. That means being dedicated and committed to him and to him alone. And I, what was the purpose of all of this? To bear fruit unto God, that we should bear fruit to God. All of this death and remarriage was for the purpose that would fruit would be born unto God. That God isn't content that we just languish in this life. He's content only when we experience the full out, outward expression of his inward or indwelling life. You realize that he lives in us. You do. But you realize that the purpose of his living in us is so that he can express or manifest his life through us. And that his desire is that you would be bearing a great amount of fruit. 
for when we were in the flesh, and the scripture uses this, he says, when we were, it's in the past, uh, we need to look carefully at this word flesh. It comes from the Greek word sarks. Uh, in the scripture, it has many different meanings. Um, in Galatians 2.20, it refers to the whole body. Uh, most of the time, it, it refers to the, uh, well, I shouldn't say most of the time, several times it refers just to the, to the physical body. But m- the majority of the times, it refers to what we are in independence of God. You see, the old man is dead, but the flesh is alive. And he's saying you can live after the flesh, which means to live a life of independence. For when we were in the flesh, when we, all we had was our own resource, when all we had was the best we could do, then we struggled and we lived in defeat. The old man and the flesh are very different. The old man was crucified. That was our sin nature. That was the nature we inherited from Adam. But we still have this capacity to live after the flesh. We still have this capacity to, to walk in the life of independence from God. And so last night I was pleading with you to join me to say, Lord, let's yield ourselves not to what we can do for God, but what God can do through us as we yield ourselves fully to him. You, and I, I, I believe that there's a complete distinction between walking after the flesh and being in the flesh. I think that when you were in the old man, you were in the flesh. You had only your own resources. But the believer is no longer in the flesh, but he can still walk after the flesh. I mean, he can mimic or copy the mannerisms of the flesh, uh, the life of leading uh, or living independent from God. And then he says, And the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bring forth fruit to death. What does the law always do? It says right here, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. doesn't mean that the law was bad, but what was the law do? It, it, it arouses within us this sinful passion. How many of you ever seen a wet paint sign? You know what I'm talking about? If there was a wet paint sign on that handrail, how many of you think of us would sneak over there and touch it? Dalton admits it. I would. You know, wet paint, don't touch. I wonder if it's really wet still. And one time, there was this uh, guest house we had in Thailand where the missionaries could come that were coming from the mountain areas and we could come into Bangkok and you could stay there real cheap. And it was nice because they had a, a TV room and you could kind of catch up on the news. And And uh, I went in there one time. I was in there all by myself. And, and it had a sign that says, don't. Turn to channels 21 through 28. Now, to be honest with you, I only watched CNN News. That was before they had any alternative, and it was the only thing they had on that cable in in Thailand. And that's all I would ever go in there and watch is just kind of catch up on the news. But when they put that sign up there, don't turn to, as soon as nobody else was in that room, I got the remote, man, and I was like, I'm going to find out what they don't want us to watch. <laughs> Clicked over there, and it was just because there was no TV on those stations. They, they were just warning you. Now, you could say, well, Brother Echno, you're messed up. I, I freely admit it. <laughs> I freely admit it. But don't you ever catch yourself doing that? 
soon as there's as soon as your wife tells you not to do something how many of you get stiff-necked and decide that that's what you're going to do right what well, it's it's the law any kind of law system arouses sinful passions sinful passions and we need to recognize them for what they are sinful passions it stirs up these sinful desires. You can't live in true holiness, overcome sin, if you're living under the law. And this is the great fallacy of legalism. The great fallacy of legalism is that if I just will follow these laws, if I'll, if I'll just live under these rules, then I can be holy. But the best you can do is become pharisaical. Because what the Pharisees did, they had this outward appearance of holiness, but Jesus called them whited sepulchers, full of dead men's bones. And it happens today when we yield to this legalistic mindset that says that if I can just discipline myself, if I just follow a certain amount of rules, then I'll be holy. No, you'll be a whited sepulcher. You'll look good on the outside, but be full of death. Why? Because that was all that the law could do is produce Guilt, condemnation, and death. It arouses the sinful passion. He says, remember that I married you to myself. I took you to the cross. I took you to the grave. I raised you up so that you would be free from Mr. Law, so that you can be in this new relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ, Mr. Grace. The result of the law system is sin and death. Now remember, it, if, if you think I'm talking and saying that the law is bad, you're, you're missing the point. The law isn't bad at all. The law is a perfect reflection of God's holiness. The problem is always with us. And God never intended for the law to bring us salvation. It can't even bring fruit unto God. If our heart's desire is that our lives would manifest a greater sense of the fruit of God, then our hearts must be yielded to him, to his indwelling life. He says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. He says the phrase, but now, can't be missed. Paul had been hammering this thing this theme, and he wants us to understand that there needs to be a radical difference in the life of a believer from the unbelieving days. We died to the law in order to be brought into a new fruitful relationship. And what we, as we get ready to leave uh, Mount Gilead, we need to be asking ourselves, why isn't the fruit of the Spirit readily evident in my life? You say, well, you know, I don't agree with you and, and I don't agree with what you're saying and, and that's okay with me. But is the fruit of the Spirit readily evident in your life? Is there love, joy, peace, long-suffering? I should say patience. <laughs> Gentleness, kindness. Are they readily evident in your life? And if they're not readily evident in our life, then we need to go ask ourselves, hmm, I wonder if there's some area in my Christian walk where I'm walking in relationship, trying to be married to the law. 
if there's death in the relationships, if there's guilt, if there's condemnation, if there's shame, if there's those things that are evident in the relationships around me, then I need to ask myself, am I trying to live with two husbands? Because I know readily that you would each confess that you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. You know him as your Savior. But I think the vast majority of Christians I meet, they don't know that they're married to one husband. And the vast majority seem to fall into this tendency to try and find sanctification through self-effort and discipline and being married to the law. And it will never produce the fruit that we desire. But we've been delivered, having died to what we were held by. We, were, we died to it so that we should serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Remember that in Romans chapter number 6, we saw that we are now slaves of righteousness. We are, for the first time, liberated from those sinful passions, those desires to do anything that's contrary to our new nature in Jesus Christ. We now serve in newness of love. We have a new covenant, not the letter which kills, but by the Spirit. We live in relationship. We respond not to an outward set of rules, but to an inward relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And he's telling us, quit living under the letter of the law. Be led by the Spirit. The minister of the Spirit, it brings peace. The minister of the letter tells us what we ought to do and then condemns. Well, let me just kind of wrap it up. You can't live with two husbands. You're either under the law or you're under the, the Spirit. You're either under law or or you're under grace, but you're not under both. And if you try, you're committing spiritual adultery. And so I just want to encourage you, remind you, I think these truths are not new to you, but I want to remind you that Jesus comes to give us life. And we should be a people who manifest the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of your life is evidence of where you live. Is there life or death? Is there peace or is there condemnation? You can't be married to Jesus and live like before. That's the reality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, he tells us, he gives us everything we are ever going to need. He gives us redemption and sanctification he makes us holy. Who does it? Jesus does it. And he's saying, now if you'll yield yourself to me, then I will make you a slave of righteousness. Have you yield yourself to his purposes? Don't be just a customer of Jesus. By that I mean, don't come to Jesus just when you need forgiveness. You know, sometimes we treat Jesus like, like we're customers. You know, when we need something from him, we come to him. But the rest of the time, we're handling life pretty good on our own, and we just ignore him. But he wants to live in relationship with us moment by moment, 
and day by day. And be a faithful spouse. I mean, think about it. One of the great challenges as men is to, to live with our spouses with understanding. Scripture tells us to dwell with them according to knowledge. I used to think that was uh, a joke. And I'd say, how can I know? How can I dwell with her according to knowledge if she keeps changing? <laughs> but uh, I think the scripture makes it very clear that we come to dwell with them according to knowledge out of the, about listening to the spirit and not out of our own capacity. And he's telling us, listen, live there. If we were married to our wives and we just never communicated, you guys have heard the old joke, you know, the guy comes in for counseling and, and uh, the wife says, well, he doesn't love me anymore. And the counselor asks, well, do you love her? And he goes, well, sure I do. And uh, he goes, well, how do you express it? He goes, well, I told her 30 years ago. If anything changes, I'll let her know. <laughs> All right? So some guys, we can, we can just, we kind of figure, we kind of assume that, uh, you know, they know. But most wives won't be content in that kind of a relationship. And so Jesus is saying, I want to live as a, you as my bride. I want you to communicate with me. I want to know. I want us to do life together. And so we are called to live faithfully with Mr. Grace. You died so you could live with one husband, and that husband is Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for giving us this time together, and um, I'm grateful for these men, grateful for the chance to be back here again, and I pray that uh, the word would sink deep into their hearts and that your spirit would be able to convict us of any area that you need to yet transform in our lives. Lord, um, stir us, awaken us. Let us be a people who live in relationship with you moment by moment and day by day. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.